Welcome to the Milwaukee Sports Performance Podcast. We are your hosts, Michael and Lauren Falk. We are physical therapists, athletic trainers, and strength and conditioning coaches at Kinetic Sports Medicine and Performance. We will be talking all things related to athletic performance for Milwaukee area athletes. Sports medicine, performance training, sports nutrition, recovery, and sports coaching. There's a lot of misinformation and myths surrounding athletic performance and injuries. This podcast is designed to bring current, factual, and evidence-based information to Milwaukee area athletes. Welcome to another episode of the Milwaukee Sports Performance Podcast. Today, I'm, do- I'm joined by Ziad Dadul. Ziad is a board-certified physical therapist and is the founder of Ignite Physio in Los Angeles, California. Ziad specializes in the world of in working with active population, and he has developed a particular interest and expertise in ACL rehab. Ziad, welcome to the show, and thanks for coming on today. I appreciate you having me on, Mike. Uh, the, uh, the stuff you're doing with the podcast is awesome. I'd lo- love to see what you're doing. Yeah, we've had uh, we've had some good diversity lately. I think uh, this coming week we're actually gonna, we had a dermatologist that re- recorded like a skincare for athletes uh, uh, thing. So it'll be uh, it'll be fun. Good 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 variety. I can definitely tell you I've never seen a skincare for athletes podcast or anything. So that that'll be a first for sure. Yeah. So all right. So um, I just want to start off. Could you tell our listeners a little bit more about um, you and, and what you're doing with Ignite? Yeah, so um, I started Ignite Physio and Sports Performance in January of 18. Um, I've been a PT for about a little over 10 years now. And really our, our uh, target demographic is like, like Michael said, like we, we focus really a lot on ACL rehab. Uh, we, we are in a baseball training facility, so we see a lot of uh, overhead athletes, baseball players. And uh, we just like working with active people. And that's really the big thing is there's a lot of people that get bogged down by these injuries, surgeries, whatever it is. And we just want to help active people get back to living as close to a pain-free life as they can and, and just be happy and healthy and doing the things that they love to do. Yeah, you guys are doing really good work out there. It's been fun to kind of get to know you over this past, you know, six, eight months and, uh, and, and really watch what you guys are doing and, and see you grow. So obviously you're a fantastic PT, you do a lot of, a lot of different things. I don't want to limit you to just ACLs and we'll have to do another podcast in the future talking about um, what we're both doing with baseball players. But today I really want to start by just kind of diving into, into ACL injuries and what you're seeing there. So just to start with, how did you develop your interest in ACL injuries? Yeah, you know, it, it, it sort of came organically. I mean, it's just the more you uh, you're being in the in the outpatient ortho practice I was in, we we saw a lot of we saw a lot of them, and we got a lot of people that were coming off, and we know how prevalent this injury is now, and so there's no shortage of them, unfortunately. And I started working with more and more in them. I developed a relationship with the local university here in Orange County, and um, started working with a few of their D1 athletes, and just started to really develop a love for it. And, you know, I've always been interested in it, and I think you know, right around five six years ago, I just it just really took off for me, and um, just started digging into the research and seeing how underserved the population is and how little we actually know about it. And, and as I learned more about it and ha- as I learned that we don't really know as much as we think, uh, it just developed to a passion that I just kind of moved forward with it ever since. Yeah, I agree. I mean, we were just talking to one of our current patients and she went to, she's still not playing. She's, you know, in the middle of a rehab, but she just went to, went to her bas- basketball practice last week and just on her 15 girl high school basketball team there's four girls currently recovering from ACLs and they're all in the phase of they're sort of done with PT and they don't really know what to do they're sort of trying to make it up as they're going and they're not getting a lot of guidance and I think 
that's something for me that's been really motivational of um, trying to continue to grow what we're doing to and share that spread the message so that we can help more of these girls and, and, and other athletes. Yeah, it it seems like the that that phase of things is probably is probably the least served population that we have out there is that the PT is done and then they, they say, okay, go back in the gym and start, you know, using the yeah. machines and doing this and that. It's like you can't do the same thing every day. I mean, we know how nuanced, you know, strength and conditioning and, and you know, getting somebody prepared for a season is. I mean, when all things are healthy, but I can't even imagine coming back and being five, six months post op and not knowing what you're doing in the gym and just somebody just releasing you to the wild and hoping for the best. Yeah, absolutely. And as you and I have learned, just, just the accountability aspect of like at, at least seeing somebody some somehow with some guidance and having to like, you know, these largely we're working with high school kids or at least in our practice, we, we do do some college and professional as well and just recreational adults. But, you know, I, high school kids are great, but, you know, you and I were both there and you, you ask a high school kid to go follow a program three days a week with no one checking on them. It's maybe going to happen, you know, 50% <laughs> of the time. And I think 50% is generous. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. All right. So we've interviewed a few other providers and we've talked about kind of different parts of the ACL process. Um, really, we kind of dove into early phase um, and kind of with the importance of swelling maintenance and range of motion, quad activation, those type of things. Um, but I wanted to dive a little bit more with you into the mid and late stages of rehab. because I know that's something that you you really um, get into and are an expert in. So um, let's start with kind of a common one. What are your criteria for returning to running after an ACL injury? Yeah, this is a common question people always have. Um, you know, they tend to see the you know three to four month thing and then say you know the controls are weeded off or something. You know, three or four months and you should be back to running. But I tend to be a little bit more conservative with it. Uh, and for me, the absolute prerequisites, like the 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 ones that are just like non negotiable, are the knee extension has to be there. I mean, I, I won't let anybody back to running if they still have a, a a lag or if they still have a little bit of a couple degrees missing from at least neutral. Um, I don't necessarily get them the full knee extension in terms of like hyperextension, but they've got to be like comfortably past neutral on a consistent basis with good control. Um, quad strength should be right around like 70% compared to the non-operative side. Um, and the the big thing for me is like they're, um, they have to be able to to do like a single leg squat or a step down and on a fairly consistent basis, you know, the majority of the time, be able to do it without that uncontrolled valgus. If they're not able to do those things, um, then for me, like it just doesn't make any sense to get back into running. And I, you know, I've seen a lot of, uh, seen some literature about, you know, the hop testing being about 70% or so. I tend to not do the hop testing in the third or fourth month. I just feel like it's a little bit too early for that. So I don't necessarily use that as a criteria all the time. But if it's somebody that sees me later on after the line, maybe they were somewhere else and they just have been afraid to get back to running and they're six, seven, eight months post-op, I'll do a hop test on them and get an idea of where they're at. And, and I like that to be somewhere around 70% of their involved side as well yeah that's that's really similar to what we do um you know my wife whenever somebody asks my wife um answered like when can i run my wife's like well running is basically a single leg squat and you know there's about five thousand steps in a mile so when you can do five thousand single leg squats then we'll let you go, <laughs> we'll let you go back and, and uh we that, that usually stops them from asking for a period of weeks <laughs> at least the other one that, that I like, it's a good one. I might, I might steal that from you. Yeah. Yeah. I've, I've stolen it from her. So <laughs> the, the other one I like that I, I just went through, um, uh, the return to play guys and, and Zach Baker's presentation, they use that, uh, like a double leg pogo for, for time to kind of assess joint tolerance on single and double leg pogos. And, um, I think I'm going to steal that and start using it too, just to 
you know, see how does that, how does that joint just tolerate those just very simple kind of uh, small jumps and absorbing forces repeatedly for, for a period of time to, to just make sure that it's not going to flare that knee up. Yeah. And I think it's, it's a good point too, because uh, the, the way I always explain it to people is, um, you know, running is essentially like, you know, a series of single leg hops that you're just doing over and over and over again. And so like um, another thing that I probably should have mentioned before, like they have to be introduced to plyos in some way, shape or form, whether it's hops, um, single leg, double leg, whatever the case may be. I mean, uh, preferably it, ha- it should be single leg, but they should definitely be introduced to hops and be able to comfortably have good force absorption at the knee and not have like a super stiff landing all the time. Cause we know what that means. And if their quad's not ready for it, it just makes no sense to get them back and rush them into something that's going to become a problem later on down the line. And I don't know about you, I, especially in like team sport athletes, I'm just I, like, I get the running thing from the psychological. It's like the next big step, but I'm always like, why? Like, you know, you're, you're not going to jog like, 30 minutes in your sport. Like, I mean, it's a big milestone and we, we use it to just help get the joint used to kind of that, that low impact loading that they're going to get in the game. But I'm always like, what's the, like, what's the rush? You know, this isn't, I'd much rather have you kind of running tempoed runs and things like that later on than rush to jog just to say you're going to jog. Now your knee swells, now it slows us down. It's like, just, there's no hurry. Yeah. And I completely agree with you, man. And like, I think a big chunk of it has to be like kind of what you touched on at the beginning is they, they want to feel like they're athletes again. And I think like getting, getting like a a weight in their hands or like a barbell on their back and then the running, those seem to be two things that are really highly equated with like feeling like an athlete again. And I really do believe that that psychological part of it plays a big component. And I, I want nothing more than to give them that boost that they need. I mean, we know how long of a rehab process this is. Yeah. But but I agree with you 100%. It's like why you know, rushing it back for the sake of just feeling that way is just not, and to me, it's just not important enough to run the risk of uh, you know pissing off the joint and just leading to other problems down the line. Yeah, no, I, uh, I agree 100%. Cause this is uh, another uh, one that I don't think it's talked about quite as much, but something that um, we just, we're just bringing another PT into our practice and uh, something that we've, he's kind of going to be diving a lot into the ACL stuff with us. And he's got a background in looking at rate of force development in ACL rehab um, as like a project in school. Um, so we've been kind of debating within our, within ourselves, like what's our criteria to return to plyometrics and jumping? Like, what do we need to see them do? And this is something I hear people debate running a lot. I don't hear the discussion around like, how do I know you're ready to jump? No, that's a good, that's a great question. And, you know, I don't have the luxury. I mean, I know you guys have the force plates that you use and I think it's fantastic. And, you know, I don't have the luxury of having that stuff right now, but um, for me, like the, the same criteria that goes into running is going to also go into jumping for me. And I, I'm a lot more protective of what the, what the, the landings look like, because you know, as we both know, it's like, you can't accelerate and you can't push on the gas unless you know how to break. Yeah. And if you don't, and, and then that's really the first thing that I'll work on with people jumping wise is after we go over just being able to get a little bit of that load, like you said, the, the force tolerance going through the knee as you do like a pogo, like a double leg, a single leg, things like that. That's usually my introduction to it. And we get an idea of how the right knee looks compared to the left knee and we are the, whatever the surgical knee can looks to the non-surgical knee. Uh, we get an idea. Once we get an idea of what they look like with their landings, then for me, it's doing like a depth jump and getting them on like an elevated surface and just looking at, taking a look at what, it, what, what they're like when they go into knee flexion. And, for, and really for me, I won't let them get into anything single leg unless it looks relatively pristine with double leg and they're able to actually like 
you know, uh, accept that load and accept that force with, with no knee valgus, with, you know, knees being comfortably over their toes, sitting back into, um, sitting back into like a hip, not really a hip dominant, but using their hip strategy to yeah. get back into it as well. Like, you know, they have to pass the quality test in the same, at the same time, and they're using some, uh, other standardized tests like the lateral line jumps and, um, you know, lateral line jumps and, and the pogo hops and things like that to be able to just de demonstrate whether they can tolerate the load or not. Yeah, that's really similar to what we were talking about. It's like, you know, kind of going back to the strength conditioning principles of, you know, how do you build a program? Like, you know, very linear, if you're, you know, very linearly, like you work on muscle size and muscle strength and then into power development, that's kind of what we've settled on is like, well, if you can't do a good squat, we're probably not going to ask you to do a good landing. Um, yeah. And we just start small and it's, it's like, it's almost like a test. Like, okay, let's, we're going to try, like we do, we call them snap downs, like just quick force absorption, you know, into a squatting type pattern. If you can handle that without discomfort, pain with reasonable control and okay, we'll take the next step and we'll just kind of pick a starting point and build. And if it doesn't look good, we'll just we'll keep doing that same thing until it does. And then we'll go on. Yeah, there just has to be a continuum. And you're 100% right. Like I use those snap downs all the time too. And I just think that if you gradually progress them and expose them to the demands of what you're trying to get them back to, it just goes a hell of a lot better than if you just say, okay, you're four months, let's start jumping again, you know? Yes. And I know the flip side for me, you know, I, I don't ever at the beginning, at the, probably the first like three to four weeks, I don't ever let them do something new back to back that uh, day, day after day. I always give them like a day off in between because I want to use like the 24 hour soreness rules and things like that to be able to assess what the response is to it. Yes. Cause we, we always equate it to just how they feel while they're doing the activity. But I think we also have to look at like, what are the lingering effects afterwards? Do you feel back to the way you were, you know, before, you know, before we started doing the hopping and the running. And if you do, then we're good to go. But a lot of times people either get a too freaked out about a little bit of soreness or discomfort afterwards but it's gone by the next day. And I always try to tell them there's nothing wrong with that. You're okay to have a little bit of soreness or discomfort afterwards. But as long as we're not having any lingering swelling or pain that goes beyond like one or two days. Yeah, that's, that's perfect. And that's kind of what we, we drive home to like, okay, we're just going to add one thing at a time. So if you, if we yeah. do something that, that really makes that joint angry, we know exactly what it, you know, it was that you weren't quite ready to tolerate that. We're going to pull that out, get it calmed down and, and try again um, when we're ready. Yeah. Okay. So kind of moving on after the running and jumping, then the next, next stage is, um, you and I, I know both find agility progressions really important during the ACL rehab. So how do you kind of set up your return, return to agility, um, program and, and progressions and how do you, how do you take somebody kind of from there back, back to the field? Yeah, I think um, for me, it's always starting linearly first. So, you know, taking all three planes of motion into account, you know, sagittal plane, frontal plane, transverse plane, and working on them independent of each other first. So I, oftentimes when it comes to agility, they have to demonstrate confidence with their feet planted on the ground first before, they before they're able to earn the ability to move, um, you know, through, through motion and dynamically. And so we'll always start, like you said, with the foundational stuff with single leg squats and step downs and, and things along those lines, same thing with the lateral plane, the lateral lunges, um, you know, lateral, that lateral walks, things along those lines. And then we start to get into more of the, you know, putting them through dynamic motion, like step-by-step, step, making sure they're comfortable with it first, starting with small, uh, slower paces. We, we, I like to use like 25, 50, 75, hundred percent. And then gradually sort of ramp up and because I don't want anybody going kind of pedal to the metal, like the first or second time they do it. Cause you know, athletes, they're going to, they're going to want to, and they're going to take, take, take an inch of you or take it a, a mile if you give them an inch. So yeah. um, 
I think the, the, the big thing for me is like gradually progressing into it. And then they have to demonstrate the ability to be very competent in, in one plane at a time before they've earned the ability to, to put multiple planes together. And that's when we start adding diagonal cutting or diagonal movement patterns and things like that. And once all of the control things are, are you know, managed and ready to go and they feel really good about it and it looks great, then we start getting into the unplanned stuff and the reactive drills. And then once we get into the reactive stuff, then we can move on and start doing a little bit more of the, of the cutting change of direction, the more athletic movements down the line. Yeah, no, that's, that's very similar to us. We, we control it um, off of effort and then um, off of like space. So, you know, shorter distance, they're gonna hit, yeah. hit lower speeds. They're gonna, um, you know, less momentum, um, things like that. The other thing I'm a, I'm a stickler on with most of our um, rehabs is I always, especially with the ACL stuff, is I always really want them finishing at like a hard stop. Like, you know, to kind of, even before we start cutting, like s s really decelerating, having good control of that finishing position um, to just keep working on that force absorption eccentric control and, and things like that even though they're not gonna they're not gonna come to a hard stop in the game i just think it's a really good skill to just drive home at the end of each drill no yeah that, that's a great point because i think subconsciously a lot of times they like you tell them to stick something you tell them to like hold a landing or whatever it is and for whatever reason there's this like mental block in their head that they don't want to do it and they don't do it on a consistent basis unless you continually remind them so I, I think part of it, it comes back to like if they don't feel comfortable in the knee itself to be able to do it because, you know, pumping the brakes is one of the more challenging uh, tasks to acquire like as they move into the like later on down the line into that process. And so I, I think you make a great point there, like, you know, being able to stick a landing or to, or to completely pump the brakes and stop on a dime. That's a very hard skill to get. And if they don't practice it over and over again and if we're not on them to do it, then I think that it's going to be a hard thing for them to be able to use to translate to sport. Yeah, no, that's. So uh, I think it's, it's such an easy thing. It doesn't change anything that we're doing. Just, you know, that extra little, little piece and can, can really start to add up with reps over yeah. day after day after day. Okay. So the other thing I'm really interested in every, every time I talk to another provider, cause um, this is something I really struggle with um, at times is, you know, this injury in particular, there's so much that we need to work on. We've got hypertrophy, um, strength, rate of force development, eccentric control, single A control, power production, all of this stuff, um, you know, all these movement progressions we're just talking through. And you and I have set our practices up to have longer than normal with most um, clients that, that they might other have, otherwise have. But even in that, I have a hard time sometimes getting everything into a session. So how do, how do you set up your rehab sessions like within a session? How do you set up your weeks? What do you recommend people do? Um, how, do you, how do you build that plan? Yeah, it's funny. It's amazing. I used to complain about only having like 20 or 30 minutes with my clients. And then now I have an hour with them or sometimes a little bit more than that. And it still never feels like it's enough time. So like, yeah. I completely understand what you're saying. Um, you know, for me, like a lot of it will be predicated depending on where they are in the, in the rehab process. Um, early on, there's obviously going to be a, a bulk of the session or a good chunk of the session. Like I just prioritize range of motion quad function, getting rid of swelling. And so I'll spend a lot more time doing hands-on, on the table type stuff, having them do more exercises on the table, things like that. Um, but when we were talking about kind of like later, like more down the line, um, for me, it's more, the session will always look like they, they come in, get an idea of if there's anything manually that we need to help clean up or work on real quick, um, just get, get the range going, whatever the case may be. And then for me, it's more, let's, let's do like movement prep. And so we'll do some level of 
of like a dynamic warm up, or we'll do some like glute activation stuff, some single leg, single leg activation type stuff. And again, depending on where they are, it could include hopping, it can include jumping in place. It can just be some glute activation where we're doing band walks, monster walks, side planks, you know, things along those lines. Cause I really do feel like if you get your the glutes and their hips firing and then their calves going, those are the two areas that I think just don't get addressed enough. I know quads are king but we really do need to make sure everything proximal and distal is kind of, is going to and ready to go. And then for me, it's making sure I get them in like four week blocks of training. And so we'll, we'll hammer home on the same types of movement patterns, a double leg or single leg. And we'll just continue to add load and add depth to it little by little as they progress. Cause I feel like if you jump from movement to movement too quickly and you don't stick with the same foundational movement, it can get boring at times. But it's so important to set a foundation to make sure that they're actually doing the things that we need them to do and, and they possess the quality that we need them to possess. So I'll basically have the, a good chunk of the session will be the movement prep and then strength training. And then I'll save time either in the middle because I don't want because if I don't want them to be overly fatigued, I don't do it all at the end. So if I want them to be a little bit more fresh for something, maybe we're doing like, like a movement acquisition, some, some, you know, teaching them how to do something. I may do that earlier in the session and then do the strength training after because I don't want them to be too taxed. But if it's somebody that's later on down the line, I may flip that and do a lot of the strength training because I want them to learn how to be able to move with quality and with function as they're a little bit more fatigued down the line. And so I'll save the, um, the agility work, the plyometric stuff, things along those lines from the end of the session. Uh, but usually when they're you know four, five, six months and on and they're ready to get into that stuff, uh, there's always a, a mixture of things because I, I tend to have all of my clients on some sort of um, you know, gym program. So I, I basically, I'll draw up a program for every one of my in-person or online clients and they're able to, to I, I know they're carrying that stuff onto their own because it shows when I see them on a week to week basis. So as long as they're doing all of that, I don't have to emphasize like pure strength training every single time if I'm not seeing them two, two times a week or three times a week, if I don't have the luxury of that. Yeah, that's uh that's that's perfect it's very similar to we do we've been really i've been talking to our we've got a student we brought this new pt on one of the things i've been hammering home recently is like session session density like we're gonna have a warm-up let's let's accomplish something you know so maybe that's our time for the low low load but more motor control type um exercises where they're um you know work on that single leg control these these type of things that are very important but um, they're not fitting in that strength block. We don't have time for it there, but just not just doing something to do something, but really doing something with a purpose, even if it's just warming up that that time's valuable. We're teaching them something, they're improving at something, um, and they're really getting something out of that. How do you, how many days a week do you think, do you like your ACL, um, clients to be like lifting in the gym or, or with you? Uh, well, normally like as a whole, it's typically three to four days a week. And then the rest of the time they spend it on like just rest or, or, um, you know, obviously rest doesn't mean do nothing. Like we give them like mobility work and things to focus on as well. Cause a lot of times I find, um, and I'm not sure what you typically see, but, uh, I just find that ankle dorsiflexion, hip extension, hip internal rotation. I mean, there's all besides the knee itself. There are so many, there's so many areas above and below that are really like, huge factors on how well their quality of movement is and how comfortable they are with the, getting the knees over toes. And I have them just hammering on those things on the days that they're not going heavy in the gym. So um, probably three to four days a week with some mobility and some accessory work on the off days. Yeah, that's kind of what we, we usually shoot for. We, we kind of shoot for three if they're just doing lower body. Um, yeah. And even that, we, we had a client the other day that came back and he's you know, just like a recreational athlete. He's out of college, just skier, football, football ref, that type of stuff. And he's like, 
I don't think I've lifted my legs three days a week since like I played high school football, you know? <laughs> and uh, I was like, yeah, he's like I'm so like muscle sore. Like I, I don't think, I didn't think I'd ever be in this good a shape again. <laughs> well, because you know, your legs don't show as much at the beach. So we focus a lot on the other biceps and the chest and everything. And, you know, know there's, there's, there's an international chest day. I just wish there was always an international leg day too. Yeah. 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 Friends, friends don't let friends skip leg day. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Exactly. <laughs> All right. No, that's, um, that's really helpful. I just, that's been something that's really been on, on our mind kind of lately just within our staff and, and talking about it. And you hit on so many good points there um, with our student even right now. We just, we're, I, we just had a client in today and I, I did the same thing. He, he, he's at the point he's almost done. He's designing the sessions for the most part. I just kind of talked through them with him before he starts and he kind of had this elaborate plan. And I'm like, you know, you're not going to love this, but we just need to do goblet squats again with more weight. Like, you know, we don't need to, we don't need to do, we don't need to do the next you know, like three exercises beyond that. It's okay that we did goblet squats on Monday and we, we can do them again today. If that's what they need, like that's what, that's what they need. It's just unfortunate that like our, I think our whole world has become like very Instagrammed. And if it's not sexy and something that people want to see on video and on shared on social media, then it's it, then people don't deem it as being important but like i think i see what you post and i see what there's a lot of other great clinicians out there that are doing great work and and i see them post you know the, the same compound movements yeah. over and over and over again and i'm like to the normal person it probably seems very boring but honestly that th those are the important things it's not what you can do by jumping on a bosu ball it's not what you can do like by holding seven different things while you're attending to this and that like that stuff isn't really as important at the end of the day if you don't have the foundational strength established and so i'm 100 percent on board with you like uh, my sessions do look boring at times yeah but i think if they look boring then we're doing our job yeah exactly it's like it's groundhog day just head down just do the work every day and over time then we go but we don't have to change it you know, from Monday to Friday to Monday, it's, it's okay to, to just be consistent. So exactly. Okay. How much pain do you think we kind of mentioned it earlier? You kind of talked about the 24 hour rule, but how much pain do you think is acceptable or normal during ACL rehab? And what are maybe some common areas that, that, um, you have to work around from a pain standpoint? Yeah. Like I, I just think pain is not something we avoid. Pain is a part of the surgical process. So you're going to, I mean, if you, if you watch and see what they do during these procedures, I mean, there's a lot that goes into it. They're using power drills. They're using tools. They're using a lot of stuff. Yeah. So you are going to hurt. Like that's just a part of this. And so I tend to really try to instill that in my patients, whether regardless of where I see them, that pain is a part of the process and it's not something to back away from. So for me, the big differentiator is I, I call it, uh, I talk to them about gross, like generalized pain versus what I call finger pain. And so when I say finger pain, I mean, if you can put your finger on that one spot that is bothering you all the time, that's traditionally not something I tend to like to push through a lot. I mean, there will be exceptions to the rule, but for the most part, if you can put your finger on that pain, I don't like really pushing through that. But if you're talking about like, I get my hand on and I'm like, oh, it kind of hurts here and it's very, it's vague. It's a little bit uh, generalized. Typically that's something that I'm okay pushing through a little bit. So long as the levels stay kind of below like a three or four out of 10, I don't like, I don't tend to push through much more than that. But for the most part, I don't ever say if it hurts, we completely stop unless it's something that's sharp it stops them in their tracks. And if it lingers or something along those lines, that's when I'll, I'll sort of scale back and we got to dig in a little bit deeper. Yeah. That's the same. We use the same, uh, I like your finger analogy, but we use the same general kind of guidelines of that. Try to get them to just to differentiate between discomfort and pain and, you know, yeah. discomfort is we're, we're going to work through. And with our, with our um, patellar tendon grafts, we, we start almost on day one, like 
okay, we're going to expect the, some of this pain, some of this discomfort through that graft, maybe around your patella a little bit. It's just part of this process. And mm-hmm. I kind of tell them like the more we work through it now, the less I think it's going to bother you as you're going back on the court and, and things like that. If we just avoid it all the way through rehab, you're going to feel amazing. You're going to think, you know, I didn't, I had the easiest rehab ever. It never hurt. And then you're going to go back and play and either have a second injury, have really bad patellar tendonitis or, or things like that. So like try to get them to embrace that as part of the process. And then I really talked to him a lot about that swelling. Like that's what I was, yeah. you know, if, if we push through some pain and your knee blows up the next day, that was, that was too much. That's not, that's counterproductive for what we're trying to do. If it's just discomfort, um, you know, we just got to keep, keep kind of pushing through it. Yeah. And you make a great point. And I think like what the, the way we approach it, like will dictate the, the overall feel of things. So if we're constantly freaking out about the pain over and over again, I I can only imagine what, there's no reason why they shouldn't freak out about it too. So like the way we approach it is if we let them know, like, Hey, it's normal. If they point to their tendon, they point to the graft site and they're like, "It, it it hurts here a lot. They're okay. Like we'll manage it. We'll work around it. It's not, not the end of the world. It's no big deal. And I think like our, our emotions and the way we approach it will actually translate to them a lot better than if we say, oh crap, okay, okay, let's, uh, let's do this and let's do that. And if we're frantic and, and really, really um, kind of on, on edge about it, then they're going to feel like something's wrong. They did damage, something along those lines. And so we have to do a good job of A, managing loads and making sure, again, we're not going to be perfect 100% of the time, but if we're managing loads well, and we're gradually exposing the, the graft site and the, and the patellar tendon or the quad tendon to these loads, then they're going to have some pain. If we're doing, if we're doing a good job of loading it, they're going to have some pain. But okay. the, the point is like, does the pain linger? Does the pain last? And does it start to affect their function in day-to-day life? And if that's the case, then we need to scale back in addition to like you, what you mentioned about the swelling. Yeah, no, absolutely. And it, usually if we can get through that first, first couple, like they'll, they'll often tell us, you know, first set, it feels not awesome. The second set actually like feels a little better third better and like the fourth by the fourth set they're like i barely feel it anymore it's like yeah that's that's what we want that's why we want to push through it if we would have stopped on set one you would have felt pretty bad about your knee but now you you know it really kind of teaches them that like yeah this is how i manage this and it's going to get better if i keep keep going and there's nothing better than than when they finally get that and they start to carry that over because then they'll tell you like you know, yeah, I feel a little bit here, but it's like, it's usually, it's like usually what I feel when I'm on the table doing a quad set or a long arc quad or something along those lines. And so when they start telling you those things and they start to pick up on the way it feels like that, that's when you know you're doing a good job of just educating them and helping them understand. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, last, last question we'll really dive, dive in here. I know you do some online ACL rehab and consultation. Um, how do you get into that? And then kind of we've talked a lot about what you do in person. So what, what differs or how do you adjust based on online versus in person? Yeah, you know, honestly, the online, um, the specifically working with people online started based on what I was doing with my in-person people. And so they were, I, had, I got a lot of really positive feedback from my in-person clients who I got them from, you know, when you're in the earlier stages, you see them a little bit more often. And as you get further along, if you, if you feel comfortable with them being able to carry things out on their own and, and they're, and they're diligent and they're disciplined with their programs, like I started drawing them up programs where I put these like Excel spreadsheets together for them. And I draw up a program for them and I do it in like four week blocks and have them carry it on on their own. And then when they would come back to me, we'd do a reassessment, retest, and then move on from there. And I got great feedback from my in-person clients because they were having such like, success with it and they were doing really well with it. And so I started to really think about like, you know, what, what population is really underserved in, our, in, in the ACL world? And like we talked about before, it's, that re- it's the return to the gym phase. It's the, it's the PT being done. 
and them being discharged and then not knowing what to do. And so I started kind of putting it out there a little bit more here and there. And I had a couple of people on, on, on Instagram and I had a couple of people reach out and were interested in it. And so I would jump on a call with them just to make sure they were a good fit. And then, then we would, then I started doing these online evaluations. And so like, you know, as well as I do, like our hands don't need to be on them for the majority of what we do testing wise. No. They really don't. We're, we're like, we're watching them most of the time anyways, in terms of movement patterns. And so obviously I'm not going to see somebody online who's four weeks, three weeks post-op. There's really not a lot I can do with them remotely. I mean, I can do some guidance from an exercise standpoint, but I, but that's not the ideal person for this. The ideal person for this is somebody who's in that three, four month mark. They're starting to get back into the gym more consistently. The pain is down to a minimum. It's not bothering their day-to-day life. And they just need some guidance and some progression on how to get back into the gym. So um, it basically came out of need and me just throwing it out there on social media. And then it's kind of taken off from there. And um, And so for me, like the way it looks now is, I'll do a like a 45 to 60 minute evaluation where I'll take them through functional movement patterns, you know, single leg squat, step downs, rice test, all that stuff. Um, we'll do hop testing if they're appropriate for it. Um, we'll, we'll do all sorts of uh, functional testing to test basically everything from the waist, to the core down. And uh, it basically gives me an idea of like what the overall picture looks like and where they're at. And then I design a program for four weeks based off of that. And then we go from there. That's awesome. Such a nice, uh, such a service for people. Cause you know, especially in, especially in uh, today's day and age where, you know, they may or may not want to be going into a PT clinic depending where they live. And, uh, and, and there's just not, there's not that many places that, that do that, um, that kind of return to gym phase. There's probably not one in every city. And so to, mm-hmm. to give people access to, to guidance, I think is, is great. And, you know, two things that have really changed, changed it a lot is obviously COVID has had a huge effect on that because the gyms being closed and people not being able to get out and, um, so a lot of people do have equipment and stuff at home. And so we're able to work around that. So I think them having a guidance and a program when they can go to physio, when they're, when they just can't get out because they're their city or their country. Cause I, I, to be honest with you, this has opened my eyes up to how physio is across the world. Cause I, cause a good chunk of who I work with are not from the States. Like there are people from all over the world. And so it gives me a really, really good idea of what things look like in other countries. And I'm realizing like there, there's a huge need in other places. And if they have the, ability to seek out care from somebody like us and do it remotely it beats what they're getting because oftentimes they're not getting anything and so being able to get some guidance and, and some form of a program like a like an actual structured program to follow I, i've had some great success with people that have been from other countries and they've done great with them they just keep telling me how different it is than what they experience in, um, in terms of physio in their in their country that's it's amazing the, the internet's an amazing thing these days <laughs> it really is man all right. Well, let's, uh, we, we're going to finish up with a lightning round. Um, so I actually had my student, uh, uh, write these questions that kind of asked what it, what, uh, what I, what he would be interested in. So hopefully, hopefully these are applicable to, to, uh, kind of talk to all the ACLers, but maybe applicable to some, some students that'll listen to this as well. Um, so do you have any advice for a new, uh, new grad physical therapist that's interested in ACL rehab? I think the biggest thing is like dig into the research. I mean, especially while you're either either a new grad or you're in school still, you still have access to to databases. Like just dig into the research. Like like reach out to people on social media, and that's that's the beautiful thing about it is that you reach out to enough people on social media, the majority of them are going to be very welcoming with your questions. And so I would just say just dig in and just and just educate yourself as much as possible because you're going to end up seeing some when you first come out, and you want to be able to go into it. Because I don't know about you, Michael, like I didn't know what the hell I was doing when I first started seeing ACLs. Yeah, we don't learn this stuff in school. Like we don't learn you know, protocols, and I would I would just follow the protocol to a T. And I'm realizing now how crappy the protocols were back then, anyways. And so I, I for me, it's like really make sure you get out there. Like if I'm going to talk to a new guy and tell him like, 
Like talk to as many people as you can, get as much information as you can, do the research, be able to like comb through it. And I think that's the best thing you can do as you gain experience. You're going to be a lot more knowledgeable going into it. And then just get the reps under your belt. Like once you get more reps under your belt, you're going to get better at it and just things will improve as the years go by. Yeah. I, uh, I second that completely. I, I knew nothing out of uh, coming out of athletic training school. I had a great CI named uh, Sherry Walters from my last internship at then it was athletes performance. Now it's Exos. And, uh, you know, I, I learned everything, that, everything that I knew in my first job and first, you know, five years of practice about taking care of ACLs, uh, from, from her. So, all right. What's the best part about owning your own business? I, there's a lot of them, obviously. I mean, you, you know, as well as I do, but for me, I, th I think it's like the, it's the freedom to be able to, to, to give people what, what we feel like is best for them. And like, nothing is dictated by anything, by anything other than um, like what's right for the persons. So like oftentimes, like before, like I, there's a lot of the decisions that I would make were based off of what, whether the insurance would cover it or whether the insurance was going to reimburse or things like that. And um, being able to actually like take a step back and say, how can I best serve this person? And knowing deep down that I don't have to make any decisions based on anything other than what's right for them. Like that helps me sleep at night and that gives me a lot of fulfillment in what I do. And I really enjoy that, that aspect of it. Yeah, I agree hundred percent. Just to, to work with people for their goals, have motivated clients that want to work for their goals is, um, you know, we really don't, we're, we have some great clients. I'm sure you do too, that, you know, we don't have anybody that's like an energy suck where it's like, like a yeah, hard, exactly. you know, like it's, um, I want this more than you do. Like, I feel like all of our clients like want it more than we do, which is, which is amazing. And so, so motivating to work with. Exactly. All right. Um, what about advice to a young PT or a, uh, maybe somebody that's still in PT school that's thinking about opening their own clinic? First off, you have to educate yourself on what it looks like. Like, so get out there as much as you can and like volunteer your time and you know, talk to other business owners and just get out into that, into that world a little bit and see what it looks like and just make sure it's for you. Because I mean, Michael, you know, as well as I do, like, this is not something where you get to clock in and clock out. And at the end of the day, like you're, you're done with business for the day and you can go on to live your life. Like, like we're both wearing our stuff right now. Yeah. While we're yeah. doing this, you know what I mean? So like this, this is your, this is going to be your life for a while. And this is going to be your world. And you have to be ready to, to you have to understand that this is something that's going to completely change your, your, your semblance of free time and what you determine is free time. And so that's the biggest thing for me. And then the second thing is like, if you know, you're going to go down that line, look into your local community and get as involved in the community as possible. That's what I think helped me the most. My first year is I did workshops. I did seminars. I gave a lot of free stuff away the first year and just giving back to the community. Once you develop that, that you're like a name for yourself and people start realizing that you're in it for the right reasons, because a healthcare provider that actually cares about people is getting harder and harder to find these days, unfortunately. And so like, if they, if they get that feel from you and they understand that you're not faking it, you just generally care about people. I think getting into your community is probably the best marketing you could ever do. Yeah. I think that's uh, I think that's great advice. And yeah, we, uh, our, our current student about halfway through his, through his rotation, we were sitting there and like halfway through the day, he goes, do you, do you and Lauren sleep at night? <laughs> I was like, yeah, actually, you know, really, really well. We just, we, we get a lot done in between, you know, 6 a.m. and 8 p.m. <laughs> so. I, I have a student right now too. And like, so I've, I've had, I think three students now since I started my practice. And um, I think they're blown away because I think when, when they see things on social media, because I'm pretty, I'm pretty consistent with posting on social media. And so I think yeah. they see a lot of the, a lot of the good stuff and they see a lot of the cool things about like being in our world. But then these three have all had the, the insight of being able to see what it's like, you know, behind the scenes and like, you know, being at the gym until nine o'clock at night and, 
and then getting there the next morning at seven and they, they get to see this every day. And so I would definitely like, you know, challenge people to really, really get and dig deep into that because this is not for the faint of heart. And so if you get into it and you, you decide like, oh, I didn't even know it was going to be like this. You're going to, you're going to fail pretty quick. And you know, you want, you want to avoid that as much as you can. Yeah, no, I, I, uh, it's no accident. I don't think that I ended up marrying another physical therapist because <laughs> like, it's about all I talk about at dinner is, you know, do you see this research, right? Do you see this? <laughs> like, you know, she's, she's about the only one that would put up with me and, uh, and, and do this. So, <laughs> all right, well, I, uh, I don't want to take too much more of your time. I really appreciate, um, you spending this, you know, 45 minutes or an hour with us and, and sharing some of this information. I think a lot of athletes and, and hopefully students that might work with ACL um, injuries can take a lot out of this. Um, where can our listeners learn more about you and what you're doing? Yeah, uh, so on Instagram is probably where I'm the most active. The, the handle is Ignite Physio, so it's P-H-Y-Z-I-O. Um, if you ever have any questions about anything, it's ignitephysio at gmail.com. I'm always open to chat with people and discuss and, you know, you know, just, just, I, I just, I just like shooting the shit with people. And so, um, I, I'm always, I'm always down to talk and just, and just hang out and, and, and chat about things. So if you have any questions about anything, but ignite physio on Instagram is probably the best place to find me. And then I'm on Twitter as well, but the handle is Z underscore dad Perfect. I will, uh, get those in the show notes and I can attest, uh, you've spent, you know, numerous hours on the phone with me in the past sharing, sharing information. You're very generous with your time, despite how busy you are. Um, so I, uh, really, really appreciate that. And I'll, I'll get those in the notes for people. So thank you again for your time and thanks to everyone for listening and we'll see you guys on the next episode. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Milwaukee sports performance podcast. We hope you enjoyed this episode and learned something new that will help you achieve your goals. If you did, we would love for you to head over to Instagram and search M K E sports podcast like, follow, or comment on today's episode. If you have questions, comments, topics, or guest suggestions, reach out through that Instagram account. Your feedback will help us make this podcast as relevant and informative as possible. If you have additional time, we'd appreciate your help in spreading this information. If you could head over to iTunes and leave us a rating and review It will help us spread the word to more athletes in the greater Milwaukee area. Have a great day, and we will see you next time.